Thank you. You can be seated. Good morning. Wow, I'm loud. Okay, I don't have to be that loud. If you don't know me, I'm Mark Barnes. Um, I head up men's ministry here at Meadows, which means I can shamelessly plug our event coming up next Saturday. And, it, and we really want every man to be a part of it. Uh, we believe God has called us to something bigger together as men. And so we want to come. We're going to have food. We're going to fellowship and we're going to worship together and see what God is calling to us to as men. And I truly would like you to be there. And I would ask that you would sign up. If you don't, don't let that be an excuse. But if we don't have enough food, that will be why. So if you could just let us know that you're coming, that would be fantastic. Well, let's pray and open God's word. Father, we come to your word. Father, we are grateful that you didn't create us and step back and just let us try to figure out life, but you revealed yourself through your word, through yourself incarnate in Jesus Christ. And so we come to your word this morning ask, asking that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, our instructor, our counselor, help us to understand these words of Jesus in ways that transform us. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, 40 years ago, this spring, Kathy and I bought our home in Rolling Meadows. And when we bought it, it came with a little tree next to the driveway. And I remember moving in thinking, what kind of a tree is that? And as spring rolled along, it... Uh, started to have blossoms all over it. We said, oh, maybe it's a fruit tree. And then, sure enough, as the summer started to progress, we saw these little things that looked like apples. We went, oh, maybe it's an apple tree. And it was, of sorts. It was a crab apple tree. <laughs> And to those laughing, you must have seen or had a crabapple tree in your yard. Yeah. And it was not a good crabapple tree. It was a nasty crabapple tree that had not been taken care of, had not been pruned or sprayed or anything for years. And it pr produced nasty little crabapples that were worthless. And just got in the way and smashed on the driveway. And eventually we cut it down and burnt it. Nobody plants a tree in hopes of producing bad fruit. Right? Nobody does that. And today Jesus is talking and he's giving us a parable about a good tree that produces good fruit and a bad tree that produces bad fruit. And it feels like we have jumped into the middle of a conversation. It's because we have. Jim, this morning, when he, he goes, this is what we're reading, right? And it feels like we're halfway through something. I said, I know, it does. And that's been a hard thing for me as I prepared. It's like we're jumping into the middle of a conversation. Over the last few weeks, 
we have seen Jesus get accused of violating the Sabbath. Actually, his disciples by the Pharisees. And then he came into their synagogue. And the question was proposed to him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? I want you to think about that for a second. It made me stop. They did not say, hey, can you heal? I think they, didn't, they weren't questioning whether Jesus could heal or not. They had heard about it. They had seen it. The question was, is it lawful to do it today, being the Sabbath? And Jesus responded by saying, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he heals the man, and their response, the response of the Pharisees is, it says that they conspired to destroy him. Okay, are you starting to get a feel for the fruit that's being shown here in in this chapter as we get to today's parable? Then last week, Jesus had had left the synagogue and a crowd follows him and it says that he had healed all who were there who needed healing, including a, a man who they brought to him who was blind and mute and demon-possessed. And they bring him to Jesus, and Jesus casts out the demon and heals him. And the people, their response is, could this be? Could this be the son of David? What does that mean? Could this be the Messiah? The people were asking. They have been watching all that Jesus has been doing and teaching. And now they're saying, is this the one that we have been waiting for? And the response of the Pharisees is to come in and say, no, 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 no. He does this in the power of Beelzebul. The prince of demons. He does this in the power of Satan. And now we get to today. And Jesus is giving this this parable. We are continuing on in the same day. And he gives them this parable. This way of illustrating what they have to decide. Because Jesus in this parable is saying, you need to decide who I am. There's just been an accusation that he is of Satan. And he says, you have to decide who I am. And that's how we jump into today's passage. And it can be read this way. He's saying, you, really, you need to consider. If you consider a tree good, then its fruit will be good. But if you consider a tree bad, its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. So the question is, which do you consider me? Look at the fruit. And Jesus is calling to make a decision. 
throughout the Gospel of Matthew. We have been on this trek for over a year now. And we have seen Jesus teaching, preaching, and healing all kinds of affirmative things. We have seen him have authority over disease, over demons, over death, over all of creation. He has called people to repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And through his words and his actions, he continues to reveal that he truly is the one sent from God, the son of David, the Messiah. And that he has come to save his people from their sin. Throughout Matthew, we have also observed that the Pharisees and other religious leaders are not buying into any of this. And so we get to today's passage, and Jesus is making it very clear where the Pharisees stand. He says that they are evil, and the fruit that they produce is evil. I thought about naming the sermon today when religion is evil. I thought, ooh, that might be a little deep. But I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Okay, you are supposed to be the religious people of God, and yet you are evil, and your fruit is evil. Why? Look at the fruit. He calls them a brood of vipers. I think that's the first indication that he might think that they're evil, right? You brood of vipers, you snakes. Spewing poison. And Jesus is not the first to call them that. John the Baptist, back in, I think it's about Matthew 3, calls them a brood of vipers. He says, how can you speak or pretend to speak good when the innermost part of you is evil? Why is he saying they're evil? These are religious people. Look at the fruit. Pharisees, in particular here. But the religious leaders, they are the ones that are supposed to be the ones searching for the Messiah, looking for the Messiah, responding to God. And instead, they are the ones that are keeping the people from seeing and finding Messiah. Think about this. He started in, in the Matthew, in Matthew 2. Jesus has been born in Matthew 2. We, we are told that Magi from the east had come to Jerusalem. These are foreigners who come and say to Herod, we saw a star in the east, and it is indicated that The king of the Jews has been born. Where is he? Where is the king of the Jews? And Herod is upset by this, and he asks the scribes and the chief priests, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? You see, there was no doubt what these, these magi were asking. 
Where is the king of the Jews? Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And the answer was, from the scribes and chief priests, Bethlehem. And so they go. They send them. And did the Pharisees, the scribes, chief priests, did they go to see, is this, could this be the one, the Messiah? Doesn't seem they did. As they have observed all that Jesus has been doing, all that he has been teaching, he is not hiding. He is not a candle under a lampstand, right? Under a bushel basket. He is out there teaching, preaching, and healing, casting out demons, raising people from the dead. They have seen and observed all of this, and they have heard of the stories of it. And we're told about one of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus at night because it probably wouldn't be safe for him as a Pharisee to go and be seen with Jesus. And he comes and he says, Rabbi, we know you're from God. Nobody could do what you do if you hadn't been sent from God. Should have been clear to all of us the Pharisees. Nicodemus eventually becomes a follower of Jesus because he sees the fruit that Jesus has and he says there is good fruit there. Nobody can do these things unless he was sent from God. But then we've seen in the last few weeks here when the People are saying, could this be the son of David? And their response was, no. No, he does it in the power of Satan. You see, why was their fruit evil? They were barriers. They were the ones keeping the people from the truth. That's evil. But as we come to today's passage, make no mistake, Jesus is not saying to the people, you need to choose. Is it me or is it the Pharisees? As I was studying this week, it just struck me. He is not laying out that choice. He is not saying, you need to decide, am I right or are they right? Are you going to follow me or are you going to follow them? Jesus is making something much larger out of this than a choice between himself himself and the Pharisees. It's a decision to follow him or anything else. It's a, it's a decision to be a part of God's kingdom or to be a part of the kingdom of Satan. He's saying there's only two choices. Am I good? Is my fruit good? Or am I bad? And my fruit bad. You need to make a choice. Last week in verse 28, he made this statement. When the, the Pharisees had said, you cast out demons by the power of Beelzebub. He showed why their logic was pretty illogical. But then he made this statement. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's what he's saying. You need to decide. 
either make the tree good and you will see that it has good fruit or make the tree bad and it will have bad fruit. You need to decide who am I because if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's the choice you need to make. Last week in verse 30 he said, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. You see, Jesus is saying there are only two trees. There are only two choices. And it's not me and the Pharisee. It's me and everything else. You're either with me or you're against me. You either gather with me or you scatter. You divide, which is the scheme of the evil one. So the question is, is Jesus good? Now, realize Jesus is speaking in a parable. As I'm studying this, I, I thought, good? That doesn't sound good enough. Realize this is a parable. He's talking about good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. And he has already said the bad fruit is evil, right? The good fruit is godly. And so is Jesus who he claimed? Is his fruit good? Is it authentic? So what does it mean when Jesus says you are either against me or for me? You, you are either going to be for me or you are against me. That sounds strong. Whoa. Yes, that is what he's saying, the choice you have to make. You will either gather with me or you will scatter. You're a part of what God's doing or you are opposing what God is doing. So what does it mean to be with Jesus? To gather with him. I think it's pretty simple. It means to join him. It means to follow him. We call that a disciple. And Jesus is saying to the people who have witnessed all that's been going on here between he and the Pharisees, you need to decide. Because if I am a good tree producing good fruit, godly fruit, if I am from God, if I am the Messiah, your choice is one of two choices. You either follow me or you are against me. And here's where I think Jesus is saying to them, and your fruit will be like my fruit. If you decide to follow me, your fruit will be like my fruit. We see that throughout the gospel, right? That Jesus calls people to follow him, to repent, to turn and follow me. And here he's saying, your fruit will be like my fruit if you think I am a good tree and follow me. So what does that look like? First John. John in, his, in the first book says, um, listen to this, First John 2.6. The one who says he remains in him, in Jesus, should walk just as he walked. Whew. 
Don't let that go by. I've done a number of D groups, discipleship groups, and we, we studied this. And I can tell you, when this comes up, there's a whole lot of, hang on a minute, time out. I can't do that. I can't walk like Jesus walked. I can't do what he did. I can't live that life. Because I think that's in us. We're like, time out. And then we want to go, oh, no, 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 no. No, you do some of the stuff that he did. You know, it, it's, it's about sanctification, which it is. But we want to go, ah, oh, no, I can't do that. And I think here's why. Jesus explains this idea of fruit. John records it in John 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may produce more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God says this godly fruit this fruit that we see in Jesus, this fruit that we've called to follow and, and, and let him produce, it's God-given. It's God-orchestrated. God is the source. And we have no way to produce any good fruit on our own. And you know what happens when we do? It's called evil fruit. When we make fruit on our own, Jesus would say, that is bad fruit. That's not my fruit. Good fruit comes from the overflow of the heart. I love this picture that Jesus, the, the storehouse, the treasure, right? Good fruit is authentic. It has to be because it comes out of the very center of who we are, the core of who we are. It's our DNA. It comes out in our words. Matthew 7, Jesus uses the same thing, and he's talking about actions and words. You ever paint over a knot in a wood? You ever, years ago, I, I painted a piece of pine and it had a big knot in it. I was painting it white, and you, you paint it, go good, and you come back and you go, whoa, that knot's there because it bleeds through, right? Paint it again. I come back later, and sure enough, there it is again. This brown shadow had soaked through the paint. After about three times, you're, you're like, how do I stop that from happening? And somebody goes, oh, you got to seal the wood. That's what this makes me think of. Out of the heart, out of the overflow of the, the storeroom of your heart comes out who you really are. 
the true fruit. You can try to make it look like true fruit, but really what in the heart soaks through. You ever, you ever see artificial fruit that looks very real? Have you ever experienced as a parent, maybe, or a grandparent, a bowl of fruit in your house that looks pretty real, and then you notice some teeth marks in it? <laughs> right? Because somebody, one of the kids probably, thought that was a real apple. Until they bit into it. <laughs> and they put it back. Right? It's artificial. It looks right on the outside. But in the inside, there is nothing of value there. It's just pretty for looks, but it has no nourishment. It is bad fruit. And Jesus would say, if you're making artificial fruit, which is the only fruit you can make apart from me, we don't want to say it's evil, but he would say it's evil. It's opposing what I desire. What's one of the biggest words you hear when it comes to followers of Jesus? Or maybe Christians, I should say, but hypocrites, right? Why? Artificial fruit. Artificial fruit that they go, I I know the guy. I, I see the guy. He's not the same as he is on Sunday. I heard a phrase this week. that has stuck with me. I can't shake it. Someone said that we have grown accustomed to domesticated, a domesticated gospel. Think of that. We've grown accustomed to a domesticated gospel. What's a domesticated gospel look like? Well, you know what a domesticated wolf is? It's your dog if you have one. The dog is a direct descendant of a wolf. It's a domesticated wolf. Yesterday, Kathy and I were talking. I go, wolves are pretty cool. (laughs) A lot of the guys are like, yeah, they're pretty cool. You know what? But I wouldn't want one in my house. Right? Why? They're not safe. They're wild. That's why we have domesticated dogs. And a domesticated gospel is one that we want that is safe, controllable, comfortable. And here's the thing. What kind of fruit does a domesticated gospel produce? Bad fruit. Artificial fruit. Right? We can be drawn into that idea of this is good, this is it can be good stuff. We gather, oh, the worship was so good, I love these people. You know what? If it's just a comfortable gospel, 
where we aren't following the guy that has the good fruit, the Messiah, the one that says, follow me. And we're just kind of going, I'm okay. I'm okay here. That's domesticated gospel. It's comfortable. We like that. And we like to see the reality of the gospel happening. That stirs in us. I wasn't going to even talk about this, but I don't know if you've heard this this week or the last week or so. Like in Asbury University, have you have you heard that that, that students are gathering and, and they call it an awakening? And and I and here's what I love. They don't want to talk about it. They're just like, we're not here to publicize this, like God is doing something. I think they're tasting authentic fruit. After a chapel about a week and a half ago, a group of, a small group of students just felt compelled that I'll put it this way, that their fruit wasn't authentic. And they decided to stick around and just start praying. They started singing. They started getting in the Word. They started to repent. They started to confess. They felt the Holy Spirit moving opening their eyes to false fruit, things that had to get rid of. As that happened, more felt like they needed to come and confess and repent and worship. They were tasting real fruit. Good fruit. A number of years ago, I was teaching high school or college students right here in this church. And one morning we were talking about authentic. I don't know what it was, something authentic. And I had brought in some good maple syrup. The real deal. And I had brought in some artificial brown sugar water is really what it is, right? And I had put in little Dixie cups, a little sample of each. And I said, okay, I want you to try this and tell me which one do you like. 100% of them said this one. Which one do you think? Artificial, right? Why? That's all they had known. That's all they had known. They go, this, ta- this tastes weird. Why? They had never, probably most of them, had never really tasted true 100% maple syrup. They had had the sugar water all over their lives. I think Jesus is saying you've been hanging around artificial fruit too much 
It's bad. It's evil. It's against me. Taste the real stuff. Taste the real fruit. It's what you want. It's what you need. You think comfort is where you want to be. And then you taste the real thing. I think those students are tasting. They're like, I never want to go back. We see the events of of the early church in Acts and we go, oh, wouldn't that be cool? In our small group a couple weeks ago, we talked about that. Jesus said, wait here until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will receive power. Yes, to be my witnesses. No. Right? (sighs) I want the power to be my witnesses. Oh, I'm not so sure. But when we see it, when we taste it, when we experience it, when you reach out and step out beyond your comfort zone, you go, God, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to be in the vine, Jesus. I'm going to let you produce this in me. And you see God respond, and you taste that that authentic, good fruit. You say, why was I? Why was I waiting? So let me give you some examples where we can we can drift into into uh, artificial fruit. This isn't new. This is in us as humans. It's in us to try to create what we think it should look like. Ananias and Sapphira book of Acts. God is moving. His Holy Spirit has has come upon the church and they are proclaiming Christ to be the Messiah, the Son of God. Thousands are coming to follow Him. There is a movement going on and persecution breaks out. And so in this, Christians are selling their land, whatever they have, and they come and they give it to the apostles and say, here, Use this for however it's needed for my brothers and sisters as we go through this time of persecution. Real fruit? You know it. There was real fruit going on. And Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife, they wanted to be a part of that. They said, oh, we got to get on this. So they sold some land. And they said, okay, uh, I, for whatever reason, I, 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 don't, I don't think we should give it all to, to the apostles to use. Let's hold some. Well, everybody else is giving everything. I, okay, we'll, we'll say this is all we have. We, we're giving them all. But we want a safe gospel, a controllable gospel. We're going to hold on to some. And Ananias takes the money and gives it to Peter and says, here you go. This is all that we got for the land. And Peter says, wasn't the land yours? You could have done whatever you wanted with it. You didn't have to sell it. You didn't have to give it. But here, and I think about where Jesus is saying, your words, your words, you have lied to the Holy Spirit because your words have said, this 
is all that we have. And God struck him down. Sapphira comes to find out what's happened to her husband. Peter asks her, was this what you were given for the land? Oh, yeah. And God strikes her down. Why? That was artificial fruit. You are either for me or against me. You'll either gather or you'll scatter. You'll be used for the kingdom or you'll be used for Satan's kingdom, but you can't have it both ways. Are you willing to look at the fruit in your life? Here's where it can show up. And, and so I, I use this example because it stuck with me from years ago. Somebody, a brother in Christ said, okay, and, and he's not the only one. I've heard this many times, and I know stuff like this is in me. They said, okay, I was talking to so-and-so last week, and oh, man, stuff they said made me so angry. Oh, I want to just, I just want to say some stuff back. Pop them in the mouth. But, you know, the Christian thing to do is bite your tongue, keep it in. And I just smiled, and I didn't do that. Let me ask you this. Good fruit or bad fruit? Bad fruit. See, we've gotten used to just trying to do the Christ-like thing without letting Christ change our hearts and that's the hard thing and the easy thing i think when jesus says i am the vine you are the branches you can do nothing apart from me part of that might go oh no part of it is relax you don't have to make fruit anymore making bad artificial fruit is tiring it wears you out. It does not bring joy. Being in the vine of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and now you say, okay, that response is not right. So God, I'm not going to go, I've I got to try to do better next time. God, I'm going to ask you to change my heart. When, when I interact with that person, would you change my heart to compassion would you allow me to speak truth in love and not just in anger? God, would you change my heart and produce good, godly fruit? Let me, let me conclude with this. I want to read you. I, I didn't see the chapel that went on at Asbury. And, and I'm, I'm reluctant to... Because I don't, it's not that. It's that God, we desire God to, to do authentic stuff in us. But when it comes to fruit, Paul, Romans 12, it's such a great chapter in the Bible. And he paints a picture of what godly fruit can look like. And I ask you, would you listen to these words? Does your heart leap and go, I want that? And I want it for real. I want the real deal, God. I don't want fake any of this. Because I believe that God is doing a work in us here. In us 
throughout the nation. And while we think, oh, our, our country is, is losing it, I go, God has used this to purify and to get rid of the artificial so that we embrace the true fruit of Jesus Christ. So listen to these words as I read from Romans 12, 9 to 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what it, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. Do you want that? It comes through Jesus Christ. It comes through the Spirit. Being in the vine, letting the Father prune and take away anything that is obscuring and obstructing true, authentic fruit. So I'm going to ask that you pray with me as I close that God would be doing a work of pruning in our hearts and in our lives so that we can gather with Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray that these words be only so hard as to move us and stir in us to desire what you desire. To desire the authentic fruit that you lived, Christ. That you showed us, but then you also gave us your Holy Spirit to live and produce good, godly fruit. Father, I, I think about the events of the world and, and the uncertainty, as Mark prayed at the beginning of the certain, the uncertainty of our world. It calls us even more to be people of light that have good fruit. I think about those suffering in Turkey and Syria. Father, I can't imagine. 
It's easy over here to be isolated and just think how hard. Father, the pictures are ruthless. I pray for your comfort there, but not just for their physical comfort. I pray that your presence would be there, that your people, your children would be your hands and feet, that, that we would engage in whatever way we can to be a part of what you want to do there. Father, the war in Ukraine. and Father, the world is a messy place and you've called us to be light in it. Father, I pray that your spirit would be moving across our country. That we would be tired of a domesticated gospel. That your spirit would stir in us an, an uneasiness that that won't rest until we pursue the authentic fruit of Jesus Christ. Father God, do a work that only you can do, and we rejoice and praise and worship you because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.